We've got a lot to get to on this Friday morning, February 17th. Let's get down to business here on Roadmap to Heaven. I'm Adam Wright. Welcome to the show today. We begin with our morning offering in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your sacred heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, buckle up, because we're going on a ride today. We are jam-packed on the show. We're going to have Scott Hahn with us later in the show. We're going to have Father Wade Menezes wrapping up our series on Lent in general so we can get ready for the particulars next week. Plus, we've got some other goodies for you here on Roadmap to Heaven. Let's go now to Mike Roberts for the weather and the saint of the day. Today is the feast day of St. Alexis Falconieri. Born in Florence in the 13th century, he was the son of Bernard Falconieri, a merchant prince in Florence. Extremely successful as a merchant in his own right, Alexis also had a great devotion to the Blessed Mother and in 1225 joined a confraternity dedicated to her. There, he met six others who also loved the Blessed Mother and who, like Alexis, were distressed at the sinfulness in the community around them. While Alexis and the others were all together at the Feast of the Assumption in 1233, they had a vision and soon after moved to Monte Scenario on the outskirts of Florence where they had another vision which led them to find the order of the Servites. Alexis was the only one of the seven holy founders who did not become a priest because he felt he was not worthy of such an honor. To raise money and support the new order, he would go back into Florence seeking help from the same circles he had once traveled in as a wealthy and powerful merchant, and for many years he managed the day-to-day order of the Servites. He died on this day in 1310 at the age of 110. St. Falconieri, Please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Earlier this week, we began our series with Father Wade Menezes talking about the generalities of Lent, giving the broad overview. And next week, we're going to get in to the specifics, and we're pleased to bring you the last part of our conversation with Father Wade this morning. You know, Adam, if I may, just uh, four short paragraphs to kind of sum everything up we've talked about so far. You know, uh, Lent is a liturgical season, and it's preceding Holy Week and Easter, properly speaking. And the Catholic Church designates these 40 days of Lent as a time of preparation for the greatest of liturgical solemnities, Easter, the celebration of the Lord's resurrection, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who overcame sin and death for us, his victory over evil, sin, and death. Uh, Lenten preparation and practices should consist of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, known as the three eminent good works. Preeminently, Lent should focus on those three, so as to call to one's mind a sincere repentance of personal sins, uh, uh, structural sins, societal sin as well, which always begins with individual sin, and a desire for a deeper conversion of one's soul, not only personally, but also of the culture and of the society, right? Uh, through these practices, we can arrive at Holy Week spiritually prepared to walk with Jesus through his suffering and death, the Via Della Rosa, beginning on Holy Thursday night 
through the Easter Vigil, which is its own liturgical season, which we call the Sacred Triduum. It's the shortest liturgical season of the whole liturgical year. A lot of Catholics don't realize that the Sacred Triduum, Holy Thursday to the Easter Vigil, is somehow just an extension of Lent itself, right? No, it's its own liturgical season, the Sacred Triduum, meaning three, the three days of Holy Thursday, evening Mass of the Lord's Supper, Good Friday all day, and Holy Saturday all day, the majority of which our Lord is still in the, t- is in the, is in the tomb, and then the resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, that's its own liturgical season. How beautiful is that? Um, during the Lenten season, the church encourages the faithful to fast not only from food and drink, but also from such things as pride, injustice, and insensitivity uh, to the miseries of others. For example, almsgiving itself should not consist merely in the sharing and giving of material goods to those specially in need, but should also constitute an attitude of the utmost charity towards others. Our Lenten practices too, Adam, should help us to see clearly The church teaches that only through an openness to God and his sanctifying grace working in our lives in prayer and detachment from sin, and especially mortal sin, can we experience true and authentic conversion. That's very, very important. As God makes our hearts more open and more understanding to what he wants to do in these same lives of ours. Constant, constant work in progress, right? Um, You know, look in the mirror, right? Who's the enemy, Father Wade? Right here, Father Wade. It usually begins right here. We're too quick to want to give the devil the credit of all the train wrecks in our lives. Now, he can cause train wrecks in our lives. He's real. He exists, as is hell real, and hell exists, no doubt. But before we give him all the credit, which is what he wants us to do, because he wants us to have an inordinate focus on him working the negatives in our life, before we give the devil all the credit, let's look here and see how I'm weak, how I'm wounded, how I have my faux pas, my issues, my dependencies, my addictions, and what I can do to start overcoming these things. Read the lives of the saints, right? The saints, Augustine's lust, Padre Pio's inordinate anger, um, uh, St. Mary of Egypt's prostitution, uh, St. Camillus de Lalas's gambling addiction, um, Venerable Matt Talbot's drinking addiction. The list goes on and on and on and on, right? So only through this true conversion process can we experience uh, God really uh, taking over our lives and us being open to him. This is why I love I love the devotion of the sacred heart of Jesus any time of the year. But I especially love focusing on the most sacred heart of Jesus during Lent. Uh, one, of the, one of the beautiful aspiration prayers in honor of the sacred heart devotion is, I'm, I'm sure you know and your family knows, Adam, and everybody there at Covenant Network is, Oh, Jesus, meek and humble of heart. Make my heart like unto thine heart. Oh, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like unto thine. Okay, beautiful uh, aspiration prayer, beautiful ejaculatory prayer. Those are the prayers that are said quickly and they're said through memory and they help us practice the presence of God throughout the day. Very, very important. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And that's what we're focusing on ultimately by carrying out Lenten practices is we want to be greater lovers of God, greater lovers of our neighbor, uh, and and we want to live that best version of self. So all of this is geared towards something, and ultimately it's what 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, it's all about love. 
It is. It is. And Father, I love that you point out to us to start by looking in the mirror at ourselves. It takes me back to what we spoke about last time, St. Philip Neri's morning offering. Lord, watch out for your Philip today, for if you do not, he will surely betray you. I don't want to betray our Lord. I know you don't want to betray our Lord. I know our listeners don't want to betray our Lord. So let's use the season of Lent to weed out those things, those habits, those practices that are the areas where we betray our Lord. And, and, and all of this in Lent, during Lent, is, is a great for growth in self-knowledge, which is really what that prayer of St. Philip Neri was all about. St. Thomas Aquinas, I've said this on earlier shows with you, Adam, as you, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas teaches one of the main steps, one of the first steps, first main steps to grow in holiness personally, to grow in greater sanctity personally for the individual, uh, is to have good self-knowledge. Know yourself. And then he defines what that means, right? Know your virtues to advance them. Know your vices to begin to uproot them out of your life. That's good self-knowledge. And that's what Philip Neary was saying in his morning offering. Oh, Lord, stay by your Philip today. Because if you do not, your Philip will betray you before the day is over. That, That was his morning offering. The morning offering prayer should be a staple prayer in our daily spiritual life, whether single, married, or a consecrated religious. I know some spouses, for example, that say the morning offering together. Some spouses do it individually. Doesn't matter. Uh, Just do a morning offering. Pray a morning offering. And Lent can help us grow in this self-knowledge that is so, so important in the spiritual life. Well, it has been wonderful to be with you once again, Father. And I look forward to next week where we talk about the negative and the positive, but as always, yeah. I, I look forward to the prayer we we always close each segment with because you know not only did you send it to us on a pen, Saint Joseph Terror of Demons, pray for us. It's something we've incorporated into our prayer every day, morning offering to lead the show, and uh, turning to the Blessed Mother and Saint Joseph at the end of every show together. So, Father, if you could please lead us in prayer. Sure, Adam. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Covenant Network listeners and Roadmap to Heaven listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. Well, once again, we've been talking with Father Wade Menezes from the Fathers of Mercy. If you'd like to learn more about the Fathers of Mercy, be sure to check out their website. We will put it in the description. It's very easy. It's fathersofmercy.org, and uh, it's one of my favorite. Dot com. We- oh, dot com. That's right. Dot I have com. it bookmarked yeah. now, Father, so I, I I don't even <laughs> type it in. I just yeah. click the direct, the direct link, fathersofmercy.com. There's some great resources for you on there. We're going to take a break here on the show. We'll be back after this. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A prayer for the Archbishop. Heavenly Father, in these trying times when the spirit of the age threatens Christian values, give our Bishop holiness of life and wisdom to direct and guide our Archdiocesan family so that we may grow in your love. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. It's always a joy to speak with Dr. Scott Hahn from the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. And the last time we spoke with Dr. Hahn, we were speaking about his book, Holy is His Name, and and what holiness is and what it means to be holy and who the author of holiness is. And I have to tell you, Dr. Hahn, I was just delighted after that conversation to really dive deep into everything that we discussed. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Adam. But first of all, thanks for having me back. It's always good to reconnect with you. 
I, it's always a, a joy, as, as we said. Now, Dr. Han, before we begin our conversation today, uh, since the last time we spoke, something happened in the life of the church, and that is that Pope Benedict XVI died. Many remember him as being the first pope in over 600 years to resign, but for me, I always say that I grew up in the, the JP2 generation. I was 22 years old when Pope Benedict was elected. I was just falling in love with the church that I have been in my entire life. And, you know, as a, a young, brash kid, uh, really just enthusiastic, I tried to read St. John Paul II, and it was so far over my head. But then I started reading Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict XVI, and it was through Pope Benedict XVI that I started to really fall in love with the teachings of the Church because I was understanding them in a new way. And I wonder if we could speak for just a few moments about the lasting impact he will have on our Catholic Church. Yeah. First of all, I miss him. (laughs) Secondly, I treasure him. Thirdly, he had a gift that I can't name another theologian who shares it. I mean, there are a lot of good theologians who think clearly and deeply, who write clearly and deeply, but nobody who could do it like Ratzinger, also Benedict XVI, our emeritus pope, God rest his soul. But I mean, I work hard at communication, speaking and writing, but I, I, um, I fight a sort of jealousy when I read him, because he takes scripture, he takes doctrine, he takes history, he takes um, spirituality and prayer, and weaves it together into a kind of seamless garment that is unique. I mean, not just unique in the sense of one of a kind, but unique in the sense that it's a, a gold standard and something more. Uh, I have devoured his writings. I have, I can't yet claim to have read even half because the sixteen thick volumes that are being published by Herder in Germany, you know, contain a lot of untranslated material. But I have practically devoured everything that is available in English, and more than once. And I find that my undergraduate students, as well as my graduate students, find him to be so luminous. It illuminates whatever he's talking about, and so lucid, you get a sense that, wow, if he can do it, maybe I can too. Uh, But he was a man after God's own heart. JP2 and then B16. You know, these two were like the Elijah and Elisha of our time. And I'm glad that you ask about it. You know, I wrote a book called Covenant and Communion, uh, the biblical theology of Pope Benedict XVI, and I farmed it out to a Protestant publisher, <coughs> uh, Baker Academic. I, I never thought they would take it seriously, but they, they grabbed it, and they wanted to publish it. And we ended up getting endorsements from a half a dozen Protestant theologians of world renown. And it's still in print, and it's one of my favorite books. And I had a chance to give it to Pope Benedict. And we stood there, and we looked at the endorsements from these theologians he recognized, and he could not suppress the grin, the, the smile, the joy that he had that his work was being more widely circulated among non-Catholics, especially in the U.S. Uh, and so I, I cherish the memory of a few conversations that I had with him, uh, but that one in particular. That sounds remarkable. And as we uh, think of that, and we we dis- we pivot to the main thrust of our conversation today, and that's the upcoming season of Lent and Holiness, you know, I can't think, I can't help but think that 
what I've read from Pope Benedict and what we are going to discuss today go hand in hand. You know, his his wonderful writing, Deus Caritas Est, God is love. And in that love, God wanting us to be holy and wanting to reach out to us so we can experience his love. And for the longest time as a child, and now my children think of Lent in the very penitential sense that why do we have to do this, Dad? Why do we have to give up meat? Why do we have to fast on these days? Why would God want us to suffer so much and and to be able to say to them, at the core, Lent is about God's love for us and our love for him and growing in that. And you have a great way for us to do that as we uh, talk about your latest book, Holy is His Name. Well, I'm, I'm glad to do this, you know, because the book came out uh, last fall. You and I have discussed it previously. But so often I publish a book, and then over the next few months, as I'm talking with people who are reading it, I'm seeing things that are not necessarily um, asserted on the page so much as they're assumed behind the page. And uh, I, I end up getting more out of the book after the afterlife of my books illuminate things that I, well, I meant to say that. Yeah, didn't I mean this? In, and, and right now, I am still sort of in the grip of this, of this message that is contained in Holy is His Name, the Transforming Power of God's holiness in Scripture. And a big part of that is that I've also been working with my team at the St. Paul Center for several months uh, on this on this series that we're going to start on Ash Wednesday, February 22nd. Uh, I took the book and broke down the manuscript into a script. Then I sort of adapted it so that I could deliver it in a more personal way. Uh, and we had this fellow who has so much experience in video production, a top-flight professional, R.G. Delgado, came in and created this virtual scenery. And uh, so 12 episodes, we're going to be live-streaming two per week each Wednesday, beginning with Ash Wednesday, and actually it's going to go through Easter. Uh, It's going to be live-streaming and available for free at stpaulcenter.com slash holystudy all the way through Divine Mercy Sunday. And I think the best part of it for just ordinary folk will prove to be the study guide. Uh, if you go to the St. Paul Center website, stpaulcenter.com, you'll see the study guide. And I worked with a team who just took it to the next level, uh, not only by summarizing the book, but by illustrating in a way that we just didn't do in the book. The book cover is gorgeous, but the sacred art that is included in the study guide is breathtaking. But along with that, you also have questions, you have room for answers and notes, and at the same time, you have an instrument that you could use personally in a kind of private Bible study over the course of Lent. You also have something that you could use with a group in a home Bible study or in a parish, and other options are there as well. If you do order the uh, the study guide, you're going to probably also want to get the book. But if you get the study guide, you're actually going to have not just the six weeks of free live streaming, but you're also going to have the extension of that for four months. And so in the past, we've had a series of studies come out under the label JTS, Journey Through Scripture, Genesis to Jesus, the Bible and the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Bible and the Sacraments, the Bible and the Church Fathers. This is the culmination of that whole JTS series. And so naturally, I am uh, <laughs> uh, 
perhaps too excited, but it doesn't feel that way. I am more excited about this than any other study. And I think it's going to really zero in on the one thing that all of us need, holiness, because it is the one thing for which we were made to become saints. And, you know, holiness is one of those terms that easily falls into the compartment of religious jargon. I mean, holy, everyone knows what that is, until you start to ask yourself, okay, exactly what is it, and how does holiness differ from righteousness? Well, how does the priest differ from the king? How does the holy differ differ from the the common? I mean, in Leviticus 10.10, we read that the job description, the primary task of the priest, was to distinguish between the holy and the common. To distinguish them does not mean to oppose them, because the sacred is not opposed to the secular. The sacred is only opposed to the sinful. The secular basically sums up what we do for the six days of work each week, and the sacred is what we're doing on the seventh day in ancient Israel back in the Old Testament, or on the first day as we live out our lives in Christ in the New Testament. But it looks on the surface to be something kind of peculiar because taking one day out of seven, setting it aside, well, yeah, that's what God did in the beginning. That's what God commanded in the Ten Commandments. But it just seems so economically unproductive. What's the point? What's the deeper meaning of the Sabbath besides a day off or leisure or Super Bowl Sunday, that sort of thing? And what I feel as though I'm coming to is something that becomes clear the more I discuss this book with people who have read it. That is, there are many things that we can do. You know, we can become smarter and stronger and bigger and better and keeping commandments and that sort of thing. But there is one thing that we cannot possibly do, and that is make ourselves children of God. We can't, obviously, divinize ourselves. But what if, just ask ourselves this question, what if... That is the only thing for which we were created, to become children of God, to share in Christ's own divine sonship. You know, then the goal of our lives is something that is humanly unattainable. Well, how do we express our awareness of that? Well, God commanded us to cease from our labor. When you look at the third commandment, it isn't a checklist of all kinds of things. Get dressed up, gather your kids in the car, go to the church, you know, and make sure you have paid on a regular basis for the vestments, for the furniture, for great music and all of that. You know, all of that obviously is a part of commemorating the Lord's Day in the New Covenant. But the fact is, the commandment is expressed strictly in these terms. Remember Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The only time holiness occurs in the Decalogue, and it occurs there in that commandment twice, But what follows is sort of remarkable. You shall work for six days, but on the seventh day, you shall rest. You shall cease from your labor, not just you, but your spouse, your sons and your daughters, your manservants, your maidservants, even the oxen and the asses and the sojourners in your gates. You can tell that the addressee, the one to whom this commandment is given primarily, is a kind of father who has sons and daughters and manservants and maidservants. But the idea is, Stop working, because this is the day where God wants to do a work that is truly a fatherly work. He wants to do for you what you can't do for yourselves or for him, and that is make yourselves children of God. In other words, this is a commandment to contemplate, to pray, 
to enter into the thing that we Americans find it so hard to do, and that is silence, sacred silence. And, you know, Sunday sometimes is the most unsilent day for at least my family, you know, but there is a sense in which what we're discovering when we reflect upon the longest of the commandments, by far and away, it's longer than the next seven put together in terms of word count, but it's more than just counting, counting words. It really is assessing our lives in terms of the goal. You know, the old adage is, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And this is God's plan revealed to us in Scripture through the sacraments. And Adam, as you and I have discussed in the past, the sacraments don't make holiness easy. They simply make it possible for sinners to become saints and nothing less. And when you see the progressive nature of holiness, this is really what we focus on in the series, Holy is His Name. Week after week after week, we realize how much we have taken for granted, how much the people of the Old Testament had to wait, and not only wait, but wonder, when is this going to happen? Holiness occurs only once in Genesis. And why? Because it's there in the beginning, right before our first parents failed, and the catastrophic results of the fall are manifested in the fact that nobody is ever referred to as holy. The term doesn't even occur in the next 48 chapters. And then suddenly, kaboom, Exodus. There's an explosion of holiness, nearly a hundred times in just 40 chapters. But once again, with the failure of Israel and the golden calf, there's a sense in which not only do we not attain holiness, we are desecrated. And it's sort of off to the races, because as it unfolds gradually, you begin to realize what God has been up to, that down through the ages, with his beloved people, he's been doing what all of us have been doing as parents. Okay, you've got a baby, you've got diapers, you've got to teach him to walk, you've got to teach him to talk, you've got to you know, potty train him, you're going to have to teach him to write and math. And, you know, this has happened to all of us, though, in fact, most of us don't remember hardly any of it. We see it only because we're raising kids and we realize, my goodness, layer after layer after layer, of, of parental love, of fatherly care, of motherly instruction. And this is, I'm convinced, the code of the Old and New Covenant. And when you realize, okay, like Rabbi Berman points out, nobody is ever referred to as a saint in the Hebrew Bible. Well, except for when the Son of Man is described in an oracle by Daniel 7. Then he will confer the kingdom upon the saints of the Most High. And this is what you and I talked about several months ago, but it's something that we have to reflect upon, and there is no better time than Lent, where we really do say no to things for the purpose of saying yes to other things. It's like not going to work is not the primary purpose of the third commandment. It is allowing God to do a work, you know, as we gather for the Mass, and as we gather as a family, and as we don't go to work, you know, God is able to do things for us. You know, the last thing I'll say, I just popped into my mind, was the Protestants were saying, no, we're sinful. God alone is holy. And they weren't entirely wrong. We are sinful. We can become depraved over time. But, and this is the point that I discovered in becoming a Catholic, our capacity to sin 
is unlimited, or so it seems these days, but God's capacity to save sinners and sanctify them and turn them into saints. God is not limited by our limitations. And so his sovereign power to turn sinners into saints, that's the purpose of transforming bread and wine into Christ's resurrected body, blood, soul, and divinity. It really is a means to an end, and the goal is to turn sinners like me into saints. And when we see that, and when we study it, when we reflect upon it, when we discuss it with each other, then we can go back and review our lives and assess the plans we have for the future for our kids, in our case for our grandkids. It suddenly just becomes a, a, a map that I think becomes far more navigable than the map that our culture is giving us, reducing life down to political parties that are in constant war. I love that you draw us into Scripture in talking about holiness with this uh, reflection on 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, where, where you say, in that verse, we're reminded of our call to holiness. You shall be holy, for I am holy. But what is holiness? And I love that in the season of Lent that's coming up, and I, I'm thinking already of the readings on Ash Wednesday and the many years I was blessed to be at the organ console uh, for multiple masses on Ash Wednesday. It really kind of gets uh, hammered, hammered in over the, the years. That first reading from Joel, even now, says the Lord, return to me with your whole heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, Rend your hearts, not your garments, and return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, rich in kindness, and relenting in punishment. But here's the one that I'm just picking up maybe in a new way, Dr. Hahn. Perhaps he will again relent and leave behind him a blessing. And as you talk about the sacraments, not necessarily making holiness easy, but making salvation possible, that, that God would work through the sacraments to save us, and that this whole idea is drawing near to him. I think of every time I've gone to confession in the past, and I say, you know, here I am with the same sin that last time I said, Lord, this is it. This time I'm going to change I, <laughs> that firm purpose of amendment. I'm not going to fall victim to this. And then yet again, I do. And that whole question of perhaps he will again relent, and knowing that in his love, he will through that sacrament. Why? So that we can be closer to him and be holy. So I'm getting really excited about how you're going to tie all of the season together with this idea of just drawing near the Lord so that he can make us holy. That's a great series of insights, Adam. You know, I think of be holy for I am holy. I mean, that is the theme of the holiness code that you find at the heart of Leviticus. And then, of course, we're more familiar with the New Testament version, that is, be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect in Matthew 5. And then in Luke 6, you have, be merciful for your heavenly Father is merciful. Well, I mean, if we had to choose, obviously we would opt for the third one, Luke 6. You know, be merciful. How in the world can I be perfect, much less holy? You know, get real. Well, the whole point, to sum up what you were just sharing, is that the power of mercy, the medicine of God's mercy is precisely what perfects us. But it's not a sprint. You know, it really is much more of a, a marathon. It's a lifelong struggle with sin, the source of which, of course, is pride. And no wonder, then, that God is calling us to humility and to humiliation. You know, humiliation comes only to people involuntarily. The fact is, if we humbled ourselves in the sight of the Lord, He would exalt us. 
far higher than we would be able to exalt ourselves. So he is merciful, and that's how he perfects us. And eventually, we do become holy. We grow in holiness each day, not only through prayer, not only on the Lord's Day, but every day. So in effect, the purpose of the Lord's Day, the purpose of holiness is to give us a goal so that our excruciating secular work is ordered to worship. And likewise, the fruits of our labor are going to be brought to the offertory and transformed. And so even our failures will become divine success. And Lent is the perfect time to relearn this every year. You know, just as you grow in your appreciation for your parents once you become one. You know, I called my dad and I said, man, did I take you for granted? Likewise, year after year, Lent after Lent, as we approach the death and resurrection of Jesus and see that that is the paradigm for all of us, since we're all going to die, we're all going to rise to what? To glory and holiness or to shame and judgment in the sense of darkness. And so this is what matters more than everything else, but this is also what makes everything else matter more than the world will ever realize as long as it does not belong to God. So what is holiness? Well, it's exciting, it's beautiful, it's scary. Just ask Moses at the burning bush or Isaiah before the seraphim. But even the seraphim were crying out, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah wasn't looking at the seraphim and saying, holy, holy, holy. He was realizing that God alone is holy, and so God alone can make us holy, so we can make ourselves a lot of things, But the one opportunity we have in Lent is to discover this sort of joy that comes from surrendering, because God wants to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And so he allows us to feel weighed down by our own weakness when we're just hungering in a way that makes us think that we're starving. We're not. Other people are. It just feels that way. But to, to, to realize that his strength is made perfect in our weakness calls for us to acknowledge our weakness. And again, it's not just a list of don'ts. It really ought to be a more, a longer list of do's, like extra time for prayer, scripture reading. It might be a soup kitchen. It might be the Eucharistic chapel. It might mean this Lenten Bible study, holy is his name. But whatever you pick up and consecrate to the Lord, he's not going to say, I'll think about it. He wants to make us holy a billion times more than we want him to. And he's capable of forgiving us, of healing us, and not just restoring us to where we were before we fell this time or last time, but restoring us to a greater glory than we can even imagine. You know, that's the point that Paul makes. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard. It's never entered into the, the mind or heart of humans what God has in store for us. And so this Seemingly unproductive use of time, studying scripture, learning about holiness, praying, fasting, giving alms, and that sort of thing. Honestly, I believe that if we could look at this through the cost-benefit analysis of eternity, we'd realize that we have insider trading, but it's legal, that we are going to be able to leverage this investment of time, this Lent, like nothing else we do on our own by our power, with success and all of that. And that's why the whole team has just gotten a real renewed excitement about not only getting this out to hundreds of thousands of people, but getting it in to our own hearts and our own homes as well. 
We never want to be that person who says, I wish I would have known. And as Dr. Han just told us, a little bit of legal insider trading here on what it means to grow in virtue and to grow in holiness. Dr. Han, I want to thank you for taking the time to to be with us on Roadmap to Heaven. And I'd like to remind our listeners that, again, this uh, Lenten Bible study, you can visit stpaulcenter.com. That's S-T, stpaulcenter.com slash holy study. Check it out. Uh, as I've said Earlier in the interview, the the scriptures we go to each and every Lent, every time, it's like going to the well in a new way because there's always some new insight that comes out. So I cannot wait to see what you have in store for us. And uh, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to be with us this morning. Adam, thank you for the invitation and for the hospitality and for the conversation. I always enjoy our time together. It's a pleasure. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. We will be back after this. A Prayer to Redeem Lost Time by St. Teresa of Avila. O my God, source of all mercy, I acknowledge your sovereign power. While recalling the wasted years that are past, I believe that you, Lord, can in an instant turn this loss to gain. Miserable as I am, yet I firmly believe that you can do all things. Please restore to me the time lost, giving me your grace, both now and in the future, that I may appear before you in wedding garments. Amen. Quick catechist question for us this morning. Next Wednesday, we're going to hear a gospel where our Lord tells us, take care not to perform righteous deeds. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you give alms, when you pray. Don't stand in the synagogues and street corners, but go to your inner room. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Which gospel writer is this gospel passage taken from for Ash Wednesday? If you said St. Matthew's Gospel, you are correct. It's a wonderful gospel. Be sure to pay attention to it on Ash Wednesday next week. Let's get you another check of the weather and the daily dose of encouragement. A prayer to the Archangel Gabriel. O blessed Archangel Gabriel, we beseech thee, do thou intercede for us at the throne of divine mercy in our present necessities that, as thou didst denounce to Mary the mystery of the Incarnation, so, through thy prayers and patronage in heaven, we may obtain the benefits of the same and sing the praise of God forever in the land of the living. Amen. We are wrapping up our week of the Daily Dose of Encouragement on the topic of discernment for marriage. Patty's had some very practical but just fantastic questions for those who may be discerning right now. And Patty, I am sad to wrap up this week together, but here we go. Well, in the end, my final note of encouragement for discerning marriage is to know that only you can decide if a person is right for you. However, you can seek wise counsel. And that's my encouragement today. First, you ask yourself, are you truly yourself with this person? Does this person bring out the very best in you and makes you want to be a better person? But then ask those very same questions. Ask someone who knows you intimately. Maybe it's your sister, maybe it's your brother, your best friend, or a favorite family member, and ask them the very same thing. Am I truly myself around this person? Do you see me that I'm myself, or have I given up who I really am in order to be loved by this person? Do they see that this person is the very best for you? Are they excited about this relationship, or are they lukewarm? Ask a confidant. Do you see any red flags here? Now, that takes courage, and it's really, really easy to be defensive, 
But if you're mature, you will listen and receive with love if someone sees a big red flag and they actually tell you. Again, that takes a lot of courage, but seek wise counsel, people that know you the best, and see if they see that you really are the best version of yourself when you are with that person. Patty, this has been a tremendous week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, and I thank God every day for the grace that he has poured out through the blessing of my marriage to my wife, and I cannot, cannot endorse enough all of these questions you've asked us this week. Well, as we wrap up today, we want to remind you, going into the weekend, it is time for Mardi Gras, which has its roots in our faith. It is not a call to go out to uh, drunken revelry and whatnot. It is a call to celebrate, really, kind of the drawing of the close of the, the visit of the Magi as we get ready for the season of Lent. We refer to Tuesday as Shrove Tuesday. And we have our pancakes on Shrove Tuesday. We also, you know, some call it Fat Tuesday and have a celebration. Getting, uh, I I love it. You would go to the larder and eat all of the meats to get rid of them before the season of Lent. And so, hence the, the name Fat Tuesday. But whatever you do, let's keep in mind the perspective here. We're trying to become saints. We're trying to get to heaven. Now, we can enjoy our celebrations and we should have them. Because we feast on feasting days and we fast on fasting days, and both of those things help us to appreciate the others. But we have serious work to get ready for. So as we prepare for the season of Lent, enjoy these last few days before you have to give up whatever whatever it is you're choosing to give up. But let's be ready to go. Let's be ready to be serious beginning first thing on Wednesday morning about our Lenten disciplines of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Um, I encourage you, encourage you, encourage you, and we'll talk about this through the season of Lent, not just to go to fish fries, but go make the Stations of the Cross on Fridays. Pray the Chaplet of Divine Mercy every day, but certainly on Fridays. Pray the Rosary every day. Every time you want to reach for whatever it is you're giving up for Lent, say, Lord, help me to want you as much as I want this. And remember, we can always do more fasting than Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. We are allowed to do more, and it's good for us to combine our prayer with fasting. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are just ecstatic to go into another week with you next week here on Roadmap to Heaven. But until then, have a great weekend. Go to Sunday Mass. Go to confession if you need to. Uh, And as we always say, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Be sure to pray your rosary today.